This is Power for Living, the Bible teaching ministry of Christ the King Church in Wakefield, Massachusetts. I'm your host, Feliciano Segundo, and our teacher is Father Michael Carl. So get all your Bibles and let's get started. Today we talk about Joseph, and this is Joseph, the son of Jacob. Now we're going to go through the entire chapter. We're going to start out with Joseph being 17 years old. And that's an important part of this from the get-and-go because Warren Wisby in his commentary on the passage says that Genesis 37 to 50 is so much more than a piece of dramatic literature. For when you penetrate deeper, you discover a story abounding with profound theological implications. The hand of God is evident in every scene, ruling and overruling the decisions of people make. And in the end, God builds a hero, saves a family, creates a nation that will bring blessing to the whole world. Behind this story is the heart of the covenant-making God who always keeps his promises. For the Christian believer, there's a third level to the story. For Joseph is one of the richest illustrations of Jesus found in the Old Testament. Joseph is like Jesus in that he was beloved by his father and obedient to his will, hated and rejected by his own brethren, and sold as a slave, falsely accused and unjustly punished, finally elevated from the place of suffering to a powerful throne, thus saving his people from death. The major difference, of course, is that Joseph was only reported to be dead, but Jesus actually died in order to save us. Genesis 37 unfolds the destructive dynamics of a family that knew the true and living God and yet sinned against him and each other by what they said and did. The presence of Joseph in the home didn't create the problems. He only revealed the problems that were already there. Now consider the destructive forces at work in this family, forces that God in his grace overruled for their good, because where sin abounded, grace abounded more. Now we continue to look at the story, and what it says is that Joseph then was feeding the flock with his brothers, and the lad was with the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to his father. Now, what we do not know, and the text doesn't tell us, is what those guys did that merited a bad report. But Joseph came back and gave a bad report. So right there, Joseph becomes one of the more unpopular people in most of our social settings. What would that be? A tattletale. So his brothers, no doubt, did not like him for that. Here we have the problem of then favoritism, because Israel loved Joseph more than all his children, because he was the son of his old age. 
We might also add to that, it's not in the text, but we can also fairly safely assume that Joseph was his favorite son because Joseph was one of the sons of Rachel. And so Joseph had favor in his father's sight. Now we all know there's a major sin that is occurring right here early in this text. And what do you think it would be? Joseph being the favorite? Playing favorites. How many of you or how many of us have experienced the problem of discovering that one of our siblings was our parents' favorite child? Or how many of you as parents have had to deal with one of the siblings suspecting the other siblings were mom and dad's favorite? You can see that that breeds a problem. Now, playing favorites isn't necessarily sin in itself. What happens though is the resulting fallout from this becomes sinful. Now, I know that as a school teacher, it was inevitable. The kids in the class would decide fairly subjectively, if you will, that one of the students in the class was Mr. Carl's favorite. And I never had a favorite, despite the fact is as hard as it was not to, because the kids that are obedient, who follow directions, who get their homework in on time, you kind of naturally gravitate to that kid because they're doing everything you want them to, and they're living up to your expectations. But what happens is that the other kids in the class decide for whatever reason that some kid is your favorite, and guess what? They start looking down on their classmate because they think this person is the teacher's pet. And that creates friction in the class. Mm -hmm. And it creates problems. So now, Joseph is perceived to be, and the text tells us that he is, his father's favorite. Now his dad gave him this robe that's apparently really you know, colorful, you know, so much so that it was the inspiration for a musical, Joseph and his Technicolor dream coat. And so the significance of this coat, though, is it isn't just that Jacob loved Joseph more than the others. It's that when you give one of your children, your offspring, this nice robe that has sleeves that go down all the way to the wrists, and it goes down nearly to the ground, you are symbolically labeling that child as the heir to the family. Now, Joseph was like not the oldest. So his brothers then hated him because of that. They thought, and they were jealous because Reuben, we know, was the oldest of the brothers, and he was not then designated as the heir of the family. So this created more problems. As a result, they hated Joseph, and not only that, it says they could not speak peaceably to him. They said probably things like, who do you think you are? You know, you little twit, you know, or stuff like that. Now, Joseph had a dream, and then he had another one, but Many of us think that he would have done better 
to not share those dreams with his siblings, but Warren Wiersbe adds to his commentary on this passage saying that surely he was right in sharing them. This wasn't adolescent enthusiasm. It was the will of God because what those dreams were about is Joseph ascending to a very high place and people coming to do honor to him. Now, had the brothers paid attention to those true dreams, they might have been better prepared for what happened to them 20 years later. And if Jacob had grasped the significance of the dreams, he might have had the faith to believe that Joseph was still alive and that he would see him again. Of course, we know that's not what happened. So he shared the dreams. His brothers and his father got upset and he said, what is this dream that you've dreamed? Shall your mother and I and your brothers indeed come to bow down to the earth before you? Well, eventually, yes, but not then. Now, it says his brothers envied him, but his father kept the matter in mind. Now, what this means then is that Jacob continued to think about the dreams. They never left him. It says he kept them in mind. You know, we would be tempted to think, well, yeah, he just never forgot them. But according to this text, he pondered the dreams again and again. And so Jacob then later on sends his son Joseph to check on his brothers because the flock is in Shechem. Next slide, please. Now, Shechem is, let's see, right, right here. Now, they lived about right here. What happens in this narrative, though, is that some guy sees Joseph kind of wandering around out on the countryside and reports that his brothers have gone to Dothan. Now, Dothan is up here. Now, back in those days, Joseph walked that entire distance. Now think of it. This is Israel in the Middle East. He's got this huge big coat on. It's probably made out of wool and it's probably hot as fire. And he's walking all the way up to Dothan. Now he gets there and we know from this that his brothers were still mad at him and they still hated him. Why do we know this? Because they were planning to kill him. And not only that, we see that the dreams were also part of the reason that his brothers resented him because what do they say? We shall see what will become of his dreams. So they're planning on killing him. Now, Reuben comes up and says, no, 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 let's not kill him. Let's shed no blood. Let's just throw him into this pit. And then the text tells us that Reuben planned to come back later and get him out of the pit. That sounds truly noble, but it's not. Because Reuben did not confront his brothers. And as the oldest brother, his words would have packed some weight 
in that culture because the oldest sibling had authority in the family. And Reuben could have brought this whole thing to an end if he had had the courage to say, no, it's wrong, we're not going to kill him, period. Now, here's the deal. No water, no food, eventually Joseph would die in that hole. Except that Reuben reserved the right in his own mind to come back and go get him later. And then it says, they stripped him of his tunic, threw him in the hole, and then it says, they sat down to eat lunch. So let's throw him in the hole, and then they say, let's do lunch. So then they sit down, and they eat. And then Judah, one of the other brothers, says, hey, there's some Ishmaelites there. Let's not kill him. Let's not leave him to starve to death or die of thirst out here in the wilderness. Let's just sell him into slavery instead. Now, that is still running amok in the jealousy and the hatred department. Not only that, he says, we, we can't get any money out of this if we leave him here to die, so let's at least get some money out of it. Let's sell him into slavery. Is this sin? Yes. Yes. Sin is serious. Sin always leads to dire consequences. Sin kills. And we have to be willing to admit that if we have been jealous of our sibling, if we've noticed one of our children jealous of one of the others, because for you know, many different reasons, we need to do something about it, take the authority and deal with that sinful behavior. The other thing that comes out of this text is that they all had to agree on the story they were going to tell their father. In other words, they had to agree on the alibi and get their story straight. Mark Twain once famously said, whoever tells the truth doesn't have to remember anything because you don't have to remember an alibi. You don't have to make sure your stories line up with one another. If you're telling the truth, the truth is there. So here we go and we see the penalty for lying because one lie usually begets another one and another one and you have to keep lying to cover up for the previous lie and then you have to lie again to cover up for that lie. So here we see sin running amok in this family but in the end Joseph is proven to be correct. So what does this tell us in ultimately? It tells us that God can take any situation and turn it around and use it for good, right? Because Joseph was used mightily. Now, if those folks had all remembered the dream while they went down to Egypt and they were begging for food, maybe it would have popped into their heads, oh, wait a minute. This is what that dream meant. I mean, eventually Joseph's brothers have to bow down to him because he's now the prime minister of Egypt. And they have to honor him because they need food. And so if they had not been jealous, this is the extreme that jealousy can lead to. 
if they had not been jealous of him and hated him because of the dreams, they would have kept the dreams in mind like their father did, and they would have remembered, and they said, oh, we've seen this before. So that's what's happened. And oh, this guy is our brother Joseph. They would have known. But their jealousy and their anger and hatred prevented them from doing that. So, what we learn from this is that even with a dysfunctional family, God can raise up people to do great work. He can redeem the situation. And not only that, we may have free will to act, but somehow God is always still acting and at work in our situation and in our circumstances. Even though we think we're going off the rail, God can still use that because he still used the hatred Joseph's brothers had for him to rescue the world. God can turn things around and make them work for good. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us for this week's edition of Power for Living. If you happen to miss any of our other programs, be sure to go to our podcast page at ChristTheKingNorthShore.podbean.com. And you can also visit our website at www.ctknorthshore.org. If this program has been a blessing, feel free to let us know. Write us at Power for Living, Care of Christ the King Church, 4 Railroad Avenue, Suite 309 in Wakefield, Massachusetts, 01880. Or you can also send us an email at ChristTheKingNorthShore at gmail.com. You can be a part of this gospel ministry by becoming a patron of Power for Living. You can find out how by clicking the Become a Patron button at the top of our podcast page. That's it for this week, and until next time, remember that Jesus is your Power for Living.